Hey, it's Joyce. Every week, I have the chance to chat with an interesting, inspiring human and to share that conversation with you. Join me as I walk and talk with entrepreneurs, adventurers, and all sorts of people who are working hard to empower women and make the world a better place. Now listen, this is not some highly polished, formally produced podcast. It's just two humans out for a walk with the chance to learn from each other. So lace up your sneakers, head out the door, and join us. Hey everyone, Joyce here, welcoming you to today's Walk and Talk with a very special guest. She is a longtime 99 Walks PAC member, and she is also the co-founder of The Widow Squad. And that's a big part of what we're going to dig into today, what The Widow Squad is all about, what inspired it, and the mission that it seeks to serve. So, Kim, welcome. Hi, Joyce. Thanks so much for having me. So, uh, The Widow Squad, tell people a little bit about what inspired its creation uh, and a little bit about its mission. Sure. Well, I'm a widow, so that's what inspired the creation. (laughs) I'm a widow. I've been a widow for nine years. Um, My husband died in 2014. So the widowhood journey is a difficult one. And I know you've had other widows on your walk and talk before. So um, back in 2014, there wasn't a ton of resources for widows. So when I was a young widow, I had two small kids. So it was kind of hard for me to find the resources that I needed or wanted at the time. So over the years, I've tried to cultivate resources for widows, and it's kind of culminated in this Widow Squad, which is an online community of widows. So it's an online membership, and it's um, pretty much just utilizing the power of social connection to normalize feelings, because widowhood is very confusing for a lot of new widows. And so we just wanted to create a place that widows could come and talk about their issues and learn from widows that have come before them and just like I said normalize their feelings so there's community mentoring learning self-reflection all the things in the community that is just exclusive to widows it seems to me uh, that we like as a society are missing a whole lot of kind of structure and health around certain things that are kind of inevitable like death and I wonder, like, I, I, I have many friends, not who have recently been widowed, but who have lost parents. So that's the right. stage of life that I'm in, right? And I got to say, like, I'm, I'm constantly perplexed by how every single one of my friends who goes through that, it's like they're reinventing the wheel to mm-hmm. figure out where to get the support and also mm-hmm. kind of the practical stuff you got to do. And I imagine it's a little bit the same, especially for young widows, like how do you even figure out where to begin to process both practically and emotionally? Is that sort of like, what's that journey like? Yeah, you're right. There's just, it doesn't matter which kind of death you're facing, you're, you know, death. um, We think we know what we would do when parents die or a spouse dies or, you know, family member dies and we, and we just don't. So what we think we know and the reality of, the life you experience after the death of a loved one or, you know, monumental loss is two entirely different things. So yes, it's hard to know how to move forward and to actually, you know, bring grief into your life. I mean, grief is obviously the huge part when somebody dies, but it's hard to know 
how to do that. Because like you said, you know, as a society, we don't really have any practical solutions for grief. And honestly, a lot of people don't really want to talk about death. So when someone dies, you get the typical platitudes. I like to call them the pitiful platitudes that people will say to you, like, um, you know, time heals all wounds or he's in a better place or, you know, whatever. A lot of times people say things to make themselves feel better, not the actual person who's grieving, but we just don't know what to say and we don't know what to do. And that's kind of the position I found myself in, especially as a young widow. So I was 44 and my kids were eight and 10. So in my mind, you know, I didn't look like what I thought a widow was. I didn't really ever think that husbands died um, when they were 54, my husband was 54, uh, you know, or died young. So you just don't really think about that as part of a potential um, trajectory of your life. But we just don't know how to help people who experience the death of a loved one. And so that's, you know, kind of why we've done what we do with the widow squad. And I was, I had a business before that offering support to widows too, just because it was so hard and so confusing and so unknown. But I just thought, I don't want other widows to have to go through this um, this isolation of not knowing where to turn for help. So, you know, that's how the Widow Squad was born. We just want to bring people into our, you know, into our community to say, we know what you're feeling and what this is like. And everything you're thinking about and feeling is, is okay. And it's normal. So we just kind of want to bring people in and let them know that grief is confusing, but we're going to help walk you through it. You say... On your website, uh, there's a lot. I, there's a lot. I know you're a, a membership organization, et cetera, et cetera. But you offer a lot of advice just on your site, which I think is mm -hmm. uh, very gracious. Anyway, you say there are no shortcuts to grief, and right. I wonder: is, do you do you get that from people, from new widows, and anybody who's experiencing loss? Like, how do I, how do I process and get to the other side of that? Is that something that people are sort of trying to rush through? Absolutely. hundred percent. So, and I'm a, you know, I'm a process kind of girl, like, just give me the steps. Tell me steps yeah. one through 10. I will do them. <laughs> I'll do them in the order totally. that you tell me. Right. <laughs> and then I'm going to be okay. Right. And it doesn't work that me. Exactly. And it doesn't work that way. We know that. I mean, I know this now, but that's not what I knew back then. I just thought I can, I can do this, just tell me how to do it. Well, mm. not only are there no shortcuts, we all have different experiences and different journeys. And we, you know, for example, I had young children. Not every widow um, has young kids. Some are empty nesters. Some have adult children. Some don't have kids at all. So, you know, there's different experiences that go along with that. So, yeah, I think that a lot of times we want to just bypass that the really hard, uncomfortable, scary, confusing, awful bits and, and like you said, you know, just get to the other side and you can't do that. I tried. I mean, I, you know, I traveled, I took my kids all over for the first two years after my husband died. Just, I think really kind of like, like literally trying to run away from the grief, but it, it, it stays. You have to acknowledge it. You have to sit with it. You have to deal with it. So anybody trying to bypass it, I just, you know, try to let them know, well, nice try, but it doesn't work that way. It's funny you say that. I have a, a very dear friend with uh, actually two young, two high school aged kids uh, and two older kids. Uh, and he lost his wife, who was a good friend of mine a few months ago. Uh, mm. And they are traveling 
nonstop. Now, part Mm -hmm. of it is kind of traveling in her honor because she had a very adventurous spirit and she wanted and she wanted her kids to live the biggest possible life. So I know her husband on some level is doing this to honor her memory. But I also wonder if there's a little bit of a just keep moving. I would have to say yes, absolutely. Just keep moving. Um, when and I right up like my husband died in February of 2014. So in July of that year, I took my kids to Alaska because that was one of his bucket list trips, which he never got to take. So we took some of his ashes to Alaska and we had a trip there. And then we did you know several other trips in the next. Um, couple of years taking his ashes to different places too but yes absolutely in my mind a you don't want to be home in your house because that's where you know your spouse lived and now they're not there you have to walk in the door they're not there you set the table for dinner they're not there everything you do they're not there so when you're traveling or moving around and going other places you don't have to deal with it but you always have to come back home <laughs> so at some point you have to deal with it so I knew after those two years of just traveling and running away that and I was exhausted that okay the jig is up I I actually have to deal with this now so so I did but I had to you know get to that point of okay I can't run forever but I do think your friend is probably yes honoring his wife but also just not wanting to be in the place that she used to be and I didn't want to be in the place that my husband used to be so we try to minimize that and that's probably fine, right? Because if you got to run to get to the point where you're able to be in that place, uh, you know, no, no rules, no judgment, right? True. That little Absolutely. Bit of so I actually want to circle back to something that, that you were chatting about for a moment, and then we got off on another tangent. And I want to talk about any advice that you have for people who, uh, who have friends who have lost. A partner, right? Because you yeah. you talked about the the platitudes that are not particularly helpful or uh, necessarily comforting. Mm-hmm. What is you know, I, <laughs> Kim? It's so funny you say it because I always say I'm a process person. So like mm-hmm. you're a process person, and I'm like, just tell me what to do to support the people I love who are in this situation, and I will do it. What well, do we exactly. Do? We, we, we don't, well, there's, there's not a lot that you can do. And I think one of the things is other than just being present is really all you can do. The platitudes don't work. And like I said, nine times out of 10, they make the person saying them feel better because they do absolutely nothing for the person in grief. Um, but just being present for someone. But I say that no one knows how to be a widow until she is one. So there is no process. We can't tell you what to do or how to do it until you are in it. And then you have to figure out what that means for you. So again, when I go back to, I had young children, some don't. Some have older kids, some don't have kids at all. Some were widowed at, you know, in their early 20s. You know, maybe their husband got hit by a car and they never had a family. So everybody's journey and process is different. So that's why there's no way to really, you know, check the box. I did this, I said this, and we're good to go. Because it just doesn't work that way. But if we can just respect everybody's grief process and kind of avoid imposing your own expectations on their healing process, I think that's what helps the most. So people thought they knew what was best for me, but they don't. I didn't even really know what was best for me in the beginning, but other people don't know what's best for you. You do. And and I had to make sure that I was doing what was okay for me and my kids and our mental health and all that stuff. So I think that some people will say, well, 
you know, my husband had, um, he had terminal brain cancer. So we knew he was going to die. He was diagnosed in 2013. They gave him 12 to 15 months to live. So he lived 12 months and he died a year later. And so people would say, well, at least you had time to prepare. <laughs> Which, If you've ever heard that, it, you want to just, you know, scream at the top of your lungs. Like, no, there's actually no preparing for death. Was I able to get a few things in place? Maybe that people who, you know, whose husbands have sudden heart attacks or something couldn't. Yes, but there's really no preparation. So even though I had time and I knew he was going to die, that doesn't lessen my, my grief or what I was experiencing, you know, as a widow. So I think people need to respect other people's grief, grief process and not impose their expectations on them. Try not to solve their problems. There's no solving a widow's problems. And, and you can't minimize their feelings because whatever they're feeling is okay because that's what they're experiencing, right? So just supporting them in their grief by listening, just being present, reminding them that it's okay to prioritize their own needs during their own healing process and just um, be available to, to be support, if that makes sense. For sure. And I think the, the lesson or the message around uh, this actually has such broader implications, actually, than even dealing with somebody in your life who's experienced loss. This idea of don't minimize, don't say something that no. backhandedly minimizes their feelings. So I think that's exactly. a really important lesson for all of us in many circumstances. I want to ask about this, uh, this phrase that we use all the time, that you used a couple of times, which is be present. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And, I mean and, don't, and don't get me wrong, Kim, like yeah. I use that expression all the time, but I'm thinking yeah. about it in this context, right? Because I'm thinking, so I'm sure some people want to be left alone. Some people sure. want, don't want to be left alone, but don't want to feel like they're a burden on other people because hanging out with somebody who's in grief is not necessarily uh, cheerful, right? So people right. don't want to feel like, a, how do you be present for people? Just let them know, I think is important. Just letting them know that you're, that you're there. I had a friend who um, I wasn't super close to. It was like my kids were in elementary school. So it was another elementary school mom and she had lost her parents. I think her dad and not, you know, too much um, earlier than when my husband died. And she said, I don't know what to say or how to say it, but I can come over and sit down and cry with you. Mm. And I just thought that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. You know, like, Wow. There's nothing to say, really. I mean, there are no words. There really are no words when someone dies to comfort somebody else. But she said, I can come sit and cry with you. And I thought that might be the most beautiful thing I've ever heard that anybody's ever said to me. So when I say be present, it's just um, reaching out and letting someone know I can be in your space if you want me to. I don't have to be if you don't want me to, but I'm available. And, you know, again, not trying to solve problems or um, or minimize feelings, but just to be with you. So maybe that person wants company maybe they don't maybe they want company next week maybe they want company next year it's just being available and letting them know that you can you know that you can be with them and be in their space whenever they need it and just kind of checking in I'm not talking about constantly texting friends or phone calls and you know trying to get them to talk or go out with you or do things it's just letting them know that you're there I have an old friend of mine, not somebody I was super close with, but I, and I completely forgot about this conversation until this moment. But years ago, we were surprise, surprise, walking together. So we mm. were away at a company event. There were about six or eight of us 
all women, all moms working, walking together. And I don't know if I learned in that conversation or I had known previously that she had lost a newborn years before. Mm. And I don't know how it came up, but I said to her, uh, the baby's name was Natalie. I remember to this moment, even though it was one conversation years and years ago. And I said, you know, tell me about Natalie. Like, do you, do you want, do you like talking about her? Like, does it feel, is that okay? Um, and she said, yeah. And we had a nice conversation about, cause the, the baby was lived for a bit. Mm. Um, and she said, like, most people aren't comfortable and don't want to know, but it feels good to me to just hear her name. Mm-hmm. And I suppose everybody's different, but I, I wonder if that was a moment where I was present for her in a way. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's such an excellent point because I have not, I have not talked to one widow who does not want to say her spouse's name, not one. So we definitely want to talk about him. And when people don't want to bring up the name because they think they're going to make us feel bad or worse, not possible. You can't make us feel any worse (laughs) than we already feel. So, but saying his name, makes us feel better and allowing us to say his name and allowing us to talk about him or her makes us feel better. So I love that you asked your, that's an excellent question. Tell me about your daughter. Tell me about your husband. Tell me what your favorite memory was. Just ask a simple question and you can almost see the demeanor on people's faces, their, you know, their body language, everything change because now they're given permission to talk about this huge, heavy grief. They don't know what to do with and you've given them permission to talk about it, that's huge. So good on you for being a good friend and asking her to, you know, just to say the name. That was, that was excellent. And I, and I suppose uh, the opposite is true as well, which is you'll see pretty quickly if this is something that this person does not want to talk about. True. I would have to agree with that. Absolutely. I, I, you um, know, I, suspect, yeah. I, I suspect if, yeah, if you raise it, you're not going to get sort of Slapped for doing that, and if this is not a topic that the person in grief is comfortable talking about, I, I think they'll probably find a way to communicate that pretty quickly. I would agree. I would agree, and I think that it's you know it's just important to to leave again, leave that space open to have that conversation if the person is willing to do that. So, and then there's another there's a whole nother picture around this for you and for, for women and men in your situation when you also, and, and this is the part, Kim, honestly, where I don't even know, I wouldn't even know where to begin because somehow you have to parent your children through their grief while you are experiencing your own grief. And I, can't, I literally can't even imagine. Yeah, that was extremely difficult. That was extremely hard because I had obviously never really experienced um, anything like that. So, you know, we were, we were going along as a family of four and everything was great. And the next thing you know, um, I'm missing my co-parent. And now I have kids who are entering, you know, pre-puberty and then puberty and dealing with all that on top of the grief of losing their dad. So it was extremely hard. And, you know, I can only suggest that people, you know, help get their children into Therapy doesn't have to be just sitting across from a person talking, like my sons don't like to talk about their feelings, but even doing um, art groups or family um, counseling even. We had some 
we had a family support group where they did a lot of activities that might be um, physical activities or creative activities, creative outlets, but things like that, just to get your kids to at least talk about it somehow, even if it's only through art or through physical activity. I did a lot of, played a lot of basketball with my son because yeah. we could have more conversations when we were playing basketball than if you just ask him direct questions. So again, kids are all different too. They process their grief differently too, but that is a very difficult thing for, for widows and solo parents to process their own grief and help their children through theirs. It's, it's not easy. I, I, you talked about something that I think we should circle back on because I think it's uh, really important and not getting enough thought and attention, which is we think many of us, because I think of it, grief counseling and therapy in my head, you know, you're sitting in a room on a couch with a therapist and right, to, right to your point, like uh, there's so much more. In fact, I've actually interviewed a couple of therapists who do all of their sessions outdoors walking with their I love that. patients um, for all the reasons we know, right? Shoulder to shoulder and you get all the benefits of walking and all the things I talk about all the time. But this art therapy, the group therapy, just being around uh, other kids who have experienced loss. That's the whole, that's the whole thing is being around other kids who who've gone through the same thing. I think that's the important part because my youngest son said he was embarrassed to go to school. He didn't want to be the only kid there without a dad, but he wasn't the only kid there without a dad. So, right. you know, getting them in those groups, yes, where they can see, oh, I'm not the only one. There's other kids like me was, was really important. So I think the moral of that story is not just for your kids, but for all of us is you just got to keep trying stuff. Absolutely keep trying. I didn't go to therapy for the first four years. So again, I traveled and I ran away from my grief. And then I was convinced I didn't need therapy because, you know, I can handle it on my own, right? Which is not necessarily true. So it took me four years to get into therapy. And um, I'm glad I finally did. But it, it, again, talking just, you know, across from somebody rehashing things wasn't my wasn't my bag. So we had to learn some different ways to get to what was underneath what I was trying not to feel, if that makes sense. So we, I, had, I had to try a lot of different ways. <laughs> Who actually wants to feel the things they don't want to feel? We don't want to feel those things. <laughs> Absolutely not. So it does take more than one try. It took probably, I don't know, five therapists for my older son before we, you know, cracked a little bit of his tough exterior. So yeah, keep trying. Wait, five therapy sessions or five different therapists? Five different therapists. I love that you kept going and kept looking. I think so often there's a temptation of like, well, clearly this didn't work. But five therapists until you found the connection. Was he willing to keep going? No, this was, you know, I was, no, I was dragging him kicking and screaming, but I didn't know. I'm not a professional. I don't know how to help people you know, with their grief. I don't know how to do that. And I was clearly avoiding <laughs> my own feelings as it was. So I was more focused on getting them the help that they needed than getting myself any help. So yeah, I mean, he, I had to take him kicking and screaming, but I knew again, they were eight and 10 when he was diagnosed, nine and 11 when my husband died and then going straight into, you know, the really tough, awful, horrible teenage years. Um, to deal with that on top of a death of a parent, it's just like, un, 
unbelievable. So I knew I needed those reinforcements for my kids to just help them get through those really confusing times. And what prompted you, if I may ask, to finally make the decision to get some help yourself? You said four years later. Was there a moment? It was more about um, my older son was going into, he was ending middle school and going into high school and getting into all kinds of trouble. So he went down a pretty dark path for a while there. So I actually went into therapy at that time to help get um, some professional help and instruction on helping him through what he was going through, which then kind of veered back off to, so I, that was my, the catalyst for going. But then mm -hmm. I realized and my therapist and I realized in my sessions that, well, I had some work to do on my own. <laughs> so that's, that was the catalyst, but um, we ended up uncovering some things that I needed to deal with. So if you were to leave us with a couple of pieces of advice, First, for uh, people who have people in their lives who are going through loss, uh, what advice do you have for that, for those of us? I would say, to, to go back to what I said before, don't minimize their feelings and, um, you know, and impose your, your views or your feelings onto somebody else. You may think you would experience or do something differently than the person you're, you know, supporting. And it's true, you probably would. So I would just say don't minimize feelings. That was my biggest, um, the hardest thing for me was I felt like I wasn't allowed to feel some things that I was feeling because people made it seem like it wasn't as big of a deal as I thought it was, if that makes any sense. So, you know, minimizing feelings is a horrible place. Where you, should, you know, that, that goes back to the at least statements. Please don't say at least. If you're thinking about starting a sentence that says at least, rethink it. <laughs> And don't say it. I love that. Yeah, Anything don't say to it. start with at least. Don't do it. It could be worse. <laughs> that yeah, none of that, none of that. He's in a better place. Any any of the platitudes, just search platitudes on Google and don't say the ten things that come up. <laughs> Whatever it is, don't say any of those things. Just say there are no words. I'm sorry. There are no words for this and I'm sorry. And for those who are experiencing grief, and in my in my limited experience, there's no timeline on this. So when no. when you say like those experiencing grief, that could be a loss from two weeks ago, or that could be a loss from 12 years ago. Well, a grief never ends, right? So we we just make space for it. It never goes away. We just make space for it. So going back to our processes and our timelines. There aren't any. So this grief will be part of you for the rest of your life. It may not be as big or, um, you know, scary or confusing um, 10 years from now as it was in the beginning, but it'll always be there. So there really is no getting over. We don't move on. We move forward. So there's just, you know, we, we move with grief in tow. My youngest graduated from high school um, Sunday, and it's been nine years since my husband's been gone. And, um, you know, it's just those, those, those kinds of events where it just pierces your heart and you go, and I'm bawling, you know, I'm thinking this is, he should be here. This is awful. This is something that's a huge milestone in my kid's life and he's not here to see it. So there's always going to be those times or those moments that it's all going to come back. And so it never really goes away. And for people who are in the throes of that, uh, 
I, something we didn't really talk about uh, just because of time constraints, but a big part of what you seem to do and focus on is really the power of community. And right, that's where we sort of align in our missions, the power of community. Yes. Uh, so the Widow Squad seems to me, it, you guys provide a, a lot of different uh, service and, and support and all of that, but it does seem to be at its heart building a community for yourself of people who understand where you are. Understand where you are, understand how you feel. And I, we, they say it so many times, the widows in our community, I, I am so glad you said that because now I feel better. I'm so glad you shared that because now I know I'm not alone. And that's huge. So when you're going through a really, this is difficult, right? It's a really difficult thing to have to, to navigate. And when you have other people that have gone before you, so you're learning from them. And you can see when you're first widowed and even the first few years, you cannot see a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't see yourself getting out of this horrible place. You will eventually get there. Timeline again, no idea. You'll get there. Uh, but you have to see that other people have crossed that threshold. So if they can do it, you can do it. And we're there to support the widows and say, we know what that's like in the beginning. But we also know what it's like when some of that heavy burden is lifted and you learn to live with your grief and learn to make a new life for yourself and learn that it's okay to do that. We're here to support you and tell you, come along on this journey with us. And um, everything you're feeling is normal and everything you're doing is okay. And that community, like you said, is what is, is the biggest proponent of that. We have to be with people who know what we're going through and tell us that it's going to be okay. So if people want to learn more about you and the Widow Squad and all the things, Kim, where is the best place to learn more? The best place is our website. So it's widowsquad.com. That's the best place. And um, you can see, you know, what the membership's about. You, we've got, we also have a podcast. So we have the Widow Squad podcast and you'll be able to get to the podcast episodes from there, but they're also on all the podcast platforms. So the Widow Squad podcast is on all the, all the platforms. So yeah, the widowsquad.com would probably be the best place. And I, I'd like to leave with the following thought, if I may, which is humans go through a lot of really challenging, difficult things in their lives. And I'm going back to this five therapists until you found one that really helped or who mm -hmm. really helped. And the moral of the story is we're all going to go through hard things and you don't have to do that alone and you just have to keep looking for your squad. Exactly. Yes. I could not have said it better. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and for the work that you do and for being part of the 99 Walks Path. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much, Joyce. It was, a, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for joining us for today's Walk and Talk. Catch new episodes featuring inspiring guests every week and all the places podcasts live. Until then, I wish you happy trails.